Hello, folks. This is your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Before we jump into this week's episode, I have a special announcement. August 18th through the 20th, I've been invited to host a Triad Mental Health Summit. This virtual online conference showcases innovative trends and thought leaders in the mental health and behavioral health industry. Such speakers as Saj Razavi from the Psychedelic Somatic Institute, Kathleen Stengel from NeuroAbilities, Aaron Williams from the National Council, including live interviews I'll be conducting featuring Todd and Vanessa Steinberg from Comoso Design, Ron Anderson from Project Reclaim, and Lori Ignacio and Jody Gearson from the Hawaii Pro Bono Mental Health Center. This event is online and free to attend. So go to triadhq.com slash TMHS to learn more. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Today's podcast is part of our clinician series where we take you into the therapeutic experience itself, allowing you to hear and learn what occurs between the practitioner and the client. As a clinician, I love these podcasts because they allow you, our listeners, to appreciate the dynamics that take place in the therapeutic interactions, the words and the feelings that get exchanged, and the process of change that can be transformative. Our returning guest today for this clinician series podcast is Shai Tubali. Shai is an academic philosopher, speaker, and leading authority in the field of self-development and self-empowerment. Shai is also a best-selling author of numerous books, inspiring many thousands on their inner journeys of mental, emotional, and spiritual transformation. Shai's active vision is a spirituality that does not lead away from the world, but rather straight into the heart of life. A trained yogi with 25 years of studies in the field of Eastern thought and yogic traditions, Shai has become one of Europe's experts in the ancient chakra system. Shai has created a significant list of methods that mix meditation, therapy, and self-empowerment into highly effective integral processes. Shai, welcome back to our show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Graham. I'm so happy to be here again. That's so nice. You know, Shai, in our first show together, you shared with us an overview of your transformative perspective and the techniques of meditation. And folks, as you're listening today, I so encourage you to go back to that first show. It's really a great show. And you, you, you talk, Shai, about the pathways of transcendent states of consciousness that you've developed mm. for this type of journey. It was a beautiful show to do with you. But I want to start today as, as we begin here. At the heart of your work, Shai, what are you wanting most for those that work with you? Well, I, I would say that at the heart of my work, my intention is to help people to move from a contracted state of consciousness in which they experience a sort of problem consciousness, internal contradiction, a sense of limitation, and, and so on, to yeah. a heightened or broader state of consciousness in which they can, well, basically experience a state of being in which problems cannot even exist. Yeah. This level of, of freedom from, from any sense of problem, any sense of conflict in order to, to feel empowered 
to resolve their problems, their conflicts, their contradiction. I recall how you took us the first time, and we're going to talk more about this path that you weave together, both the psychological and the spiritual techniques. But this, you're, you're saying, as I mentioned in the introduction, this spirituality does not lead away from the world. In fact, you lead straight into the heart of it in, with the intention of developing meaning, a greater personal depth, a better order to, to clarify and, and, and manage complex and oftentimes challenging aspects of our lives, working through the ambiguous, working through the complex experiences, trying to integrate more kind of a holistic understanding, which allows kind of a transformation to be clarified, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. And, and, and I would say that this kind of message or insistence on employing heightened states of consciousness to achieve this kind of liberation in life itself, this came into being as a result of observing people, especially in the spiritual mindfulness scene, and realizing that, that they use higher states of consciousness and meditation to escape their challenges and actually develop some sort of hypersensitivity. This feeling that they are incapable of, of facing any of life's challenges because everything feels just too much. Yes. And then I, I began to think about this and realize that, that somehow we are abusing these states of consciousness, whereas what they're really meant to do is that they're meant to be at the service of human life. So, mm -hmm. so ever since I've, I've begun to encourage people to settle in these states of consciousness and from there to direct their attention to their present problems. So they could never really escape life in this way. <laughs> So to escape life was actually a disservice. It was robbing somebody of an opportunity to really lean into things in a much more meaningful way. In fact, I'd love our listeners to get a better sense of this because the framework that you're talking about in our first show, one of the core tenets being the law of attention, hmm. not hmm. distraction, not avoidance, not denial, hmm. but the hmm. law of attention and a lot of times people say, you want me to do what? You want me to lean into this? You want me to stay in this moment? And what you're saying, yes, it's something in that. And you're talking about that law of attention. It becomes kind of the key to the psychological and spiritual freedoms that you're saying are available to us if we can do it in this way. In fact, you talk about how it becomes our inner freedom. You don't think there's anything else necessary that we really need to understand. And that attention is the greatest source of power that we actually possess. So explain for us, if you would, Shai, this law of attention and its various aspects. Yes, of course, I would love to do that. The law of attention basically states something so simple, so strikingly simple that we could, we might wonder how come we haven't even noticed it. But it simply states that there is a certain gap of choice and identification between our attention, our awareness and everything we give attention to. This includes any sort of thoughts and feelings and emotions and memories. We're not aware of this gap. Our attention becomes glued, completely connected or inseparably connected to these thoughts, memories, emotions, and so on. And to a degree that we feel that we're hunted by these memories and thoughts and emotions, they become monster-like 
in a way that they have their own power. Now, the law of attention is all about giving us the power, <laughs> regaining this sense of power, understanding that things become meaningful and powerful in only if we ascribe meaning and power to them. Now, it's very important to understand that the law of attention here applies to spirituality and meditation. And to a certain degree, it's different from the way we would approach it in psychology and therapy. Why is that? This is because I would say that this is also the major difference between spirituality and psychology or meditation and psychology, because in spirituality, you are basically stopping to ascribe meaning and power to any of your thoughts, feelings, memories. You see, you are, you are entering a state in which you are recovering your, your power of attention to a degree that, that you are really imbuing your being with presence and silence. So you're transcending all thoughts and emotions. This is, this is how we use the law of attention there. But in okay. psychology, in therapeutic processes, we would use the very same law of attention in order to learn to select the right constructive thoughts and feelings and memories and to stop ascribing attention or a, a meaning and power to destructive, harmful thoughts and emotions. You've talked about how with that attention and kind of mining that gap, noticing how we give power to our thoughts. And you said we without understanding, and it may be being conscious of it, we become what we focus on. Right. And what you're talking about here is paying attention to the law of attention that can take place in that gap where we actually have the ability, if we realize it, to relax this attention and the freedom not to choose something at all, but just to sit in that moment with it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's meditation. Meditation is the, is the relaxation of my attention, is realizing that we don't have to be well obsessively focused on and identified with certain thoughts, emotions, or, or any other objects of our consciousness, we can actually remain in this state of pure attentiveness. This is what we can call also expansive mindfulness. But it is also the, the very same law applies to our ability to stop becoming certain patterns of behavior, to stop becoming one with certain destructive approaches to life. You feel the tremendous freedom of being able to simply not even saying no. Based on the law of attention, you don't need to resist or struggle with the content of your mind. You can simply seize, give it attention. And that is all. That is the power. Yeah. Yes. And in that power, that's where you're saying, if we can expand that mindfulness and sustain that attention necessary, we can begin to alter what we've always been affronted by, conflicted with, and we, the, the, the destruction of those things in our lives that can hold us down or tie us down or weight us down. And there's a freedom in that. I want to talk about that mindful hmm. expansion just a moment and weave yes. it in here because you use a number of methods to illuminate the different dimensions of human life, to guide and achieve 
this personal transformation that you're saying is possible. You use power psychology, you use expansion model, you use a right. chakra psychology, chakra personality types, the seven yeah. hearts. And you're one of Europe's experts in the ancient chakra system. And hmm. if you could take me and our listeners into the primary meditation that you use to illuminate the different dimensions of one's life, this expansive mindfulness that helps folks in this transcendent state of yes. consciousness to become more aware, more balanced. Give us, if you could, Shai, kind of an experiential understanding of what folks are mm. going through and doing with you in this process. Yes, yes, yes. That, that's, that's a good question. Thank you. My major method is the expansion method, because actually there's a certain principle that systemizes the process of meditation or the essential process of meditation. This means that within 10 or 15 minutes, people are able to attain higher states of consciousness. Now, in traditional terms, the expansion of consciousness takes place by expanding our subtle fields of consciousness. Usually, our mind is completely contracted. It is entirely focused on our physical mind, which is the brain and its, its thought patterns. Yes. So, so there is a certain contracted or, or a small island of thoughts and emotions, and this is where we stand. Yeah. Now, what, what happens is that we're beginning to expand our consciousness, and we are beginning to experience a, a broader inner space. Now, we're moving through these fields of consciousness, and eventually we reach, and pretty easily, what I regard as the third field of consciousness, which is the mental-spiritual state, the mental-spiritual field. Now, this is where people begin to smile, regardless of whether they started the process completely traumatized or focusing on very deep-seated, difficult emotions. They begin to smile because they begin to experience a, a certain broadness that, one, liberates them from any sense of past. They feel that, that their mind, they have tapped into a certain part of their consciousness, which has remained unchanged and unaffected by, by past experiences. They feel that there is no problem whatsoever. They experience absolute positivity. Mm -hmm and a certain knowingness within mm. them, some kind of a heart knowing. And in general, in terms of their identity, they experience themselves as what we can regard as a spirit experiencing human life rather than a human trying or hoping to experience spirit, you see? Yes. So, so this kind of fearlessness, this kind of, of expansiveness of, of their being it enables them to, to begin to breathe deeply, to feel this kind of complete relief and complete release from their hunting memories or problems. Sometimes many problems that they were struggling to resolve yeah. seem to, to be non-existent. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. 
We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. Shai, this expansion model you're talking here is it's really cool. You're talking about systemizing. Right. Systematizing this essential process of meditation that within 10 to 15 minutes, something begins to shift. Yeah. And then some things begin to move and then a smile comes and you're taking it from, from a place of contraction where we're trapped and stuck and at the mercy of these mm. things that we we think define us and move it to an expansion position where there's an openness to see and be and be free in those moments. Mm-hmm. And empowered in those moments just to somehow have a detached realization that there's something spiritual going on. And what I liked that you're saying, and I've, I'm just hearing the same term this week, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not a humans mm-hmm. having a spiritual experience. Weave that part in here for me and how that gets more recognized as you go through this expansion process. How we get the, this be, kind to, of realization. To, Exactly. More realization that, wait a minute, I'm not a human. I think it's spiritual. I'm a spiritual having a human experience. Yes, yes, yes. First of all, we need to understand that this kind of field of consciousness is always here in us. We just need to, to become aware of it because we are so intensely focused on particular thoughts and emotions and moving in, in narrow circles. Now, what happens to us when we are beginning to, to expand our mind is that we are beginning to experience liberation, liberation from the world. You see, the, the thing is that usually our experience is that we are completely defined by yeah. the, the world and, and our circumstances. We would actually feel non-existent if, if we removed the world, our relationships, and our social identities. I don't know, I hesitate to, to use this kind of example, but just referring briefly to the, to the Gospels, Jesus spoke about the need to be born twice. Yes. You see, <laughs> once yes. in, in the flesh and the second time in spirit. Now, without becoming Christians, <laughs> we all need to, to somehow be born again in spirit because we don't exist spiritually until we begin to to expand our consciousness. So now what happens is that we're finally beginning to experience that we have our own presence regardless of the world. Even if the whole world came apart, we would still be there. We don't need to become someone in the world that recovers our sense of self-confidence. We feel that we are we are whole, we are complete within ourselves. This liberates us from the need for the difficulty to love ourselves and to accept ourselves because now we are complete. We experience ourselves as source 
rather than than dependent creatures. It's it's as if you experience your being as a sun radiating rather than consuming energies and and recognition and gratification. So you you practically feel that, that you don't need to receive anything from anyone. You're free from the world of opposites, from ups and downs, and you're no longer a wait for happiness in the future. It's a tremendous collapse of all the dependency that usually defines human life and the human psyche. That's the greatest gift that meditation can give us. Boy, that's a wonderful description of the process. I appreciate that. You know, I'm thinking that as we kind of mine that gap, and in doing so, we begin to kind of smile, recognizing the power of our thoughts and appreciating that we've become what we've given attention to and that we can actually relax that and welcome in a different understanding of ourselves. But I'm imagining, and I see this a lot in change, change is hard hmm. because I have to give up something. In this case, you're talking about I'm giving up the definition, even if it's been negative, hmm. even if it's been something you know destructive hmm. to me. It's the devil that I know. It's something familiar to me. And what I'm doing in that gap is saying, wait a minute, this has never been true. Hmm. I just thought that it was, and I didn't know any different. But now that I'm in this gap and I see something opening up and something being shed, that's actually not really who I am. Uh Oh, and there's a place right there. There's got to be a place right there where people might get a little concerned about, well, what, who, who am I then? And there's got to be a kind of a place where although we can get to a place where we recognize that we are already complete, it's just not known yet. There's got to be a place or a little crossroads moment that becomes a little unsettling for folks. Is that, do you experience that? Well, that's a brilliant point. Yes. Well, of course, I encounter these phenomena over and over again, actually. What compensates for this fear of being nothing, because this is the fear, the fear of being nothing without all the familiar elements that have enabled you to identify yourself. It is true that sometimes even my greatest traumas, I can at least walk in the world presenting myself. I have a certain story to tell. Suddenly I'm, I'm robbed of my cherished narrative. You see, yes. so who would I be? And this, this is really scary. So there is a certain, I would say, like it's like a dark tunnel that you need to, to pass through. And then I need to, to promise people that, that, that it's only their thinking, their conditioned thinking that whispers to them, you are going to lose everything, you are going to die. I am yeah. telling them that, that beyond this tunnel, they are only going to experience bliss. So there is, there is this moment of, of inner shivering. But then there is indeed, if they feel that you are confident, if they know, they look into your eyes and they know that you have gone through this, you have passed through this tunnel and you speak from this bliss, then they trust you and they follow you. And well, they do experience this (laughs) this bliss always. As they come out of that tunnel, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. And, and this happens especially with traumatized people yeah. because, of course, they begin to experience the effect of the expanded states, fields of consciousness, uh, including freedom from problem consciousness, freedom from memory, freedom from, from being affected or shaped by time. And then they begin to 
to experience this fear. Yeah. And, and you need to really walk with them hand in hand until they reach a state in which they finally experience that they are bigger than their memory. Yes. You see? When you feel that way, because as long as you feel that you, you, you don't have self-existence, you, you're not big enough to contain the memory, taking the memory away, there's nothing left. Yes. I, I really appreciate this part of our discussion right now. You're talking about some of our existential fears and this fear that we have, if we really stop, that this fear of being nothing. And I, I love this. It's kind of paradoxical in a way. I've got this cherished narrative that we hold on to, even if it holds us down or is destructive or not even accurate, but it's what I know. And that, for some reason, provides something for me. And you're talking about in order to shed that, I get to go through this dark tunnel. And the, what we're saying here is, I don't know my true self yet. And I'm trusting that on the other end of that tunnel, there's going to be something that I'm going to organically evolve a deeper understanding of. I'm curious, in those times of going through that tunnel, what is your role? And how do you stay with somebody, let them look at you into your eyes and be able to kind of hold that position of stay with it, trust this process. What are you doing in those times? Well, I would say that the role is to be as compassionate as possible on the one hand and completely unwavering, completely unmovable on the other hand, you see, because you, you, you need to be compassionate. If you begin to, to resist yeah. their resistance, this is what I always tell practitioners, people I train, don't resist people's resistance because first of all, resistance, what we call resistance, I don't like this term because it sounds as if people must go through something and then they resist it. But, but if, when they feel this kind of, of contraction in the, in the midst of the process, this is a, a part of their process. It's not something, it's not that they've now come out or, or left the process behind. This is a part of the process. Yes. So if you, if you don't create a division, you don't create a split and a conflict in the process, you don't tell them now you should expand. Come on, stop, <laughs> stop resisting. You, you say, yes, I understand it. This is, we all have it, this kind of fear. This is completely natural. And on the other hand, you must be completely confident. And you only know if you have mastered the law of attention. You see? Yes. If yeah. you can see through any kind of thought in the world, any kind of fear, any kind of emotion, any kind of memory, nothing frightens you as a therapist. Because if I have this kind of fear of my own feelings, my own emotions, of course, I would, I would waver. You see, I would hesitate to lead someone through a certain process, especially a process that, it, that is as radical. I think that reminds us of the importance that as a therapist, making sure, or as a leader, or as a, a teacher, making sure that we do our own work first, so that we are able to hold folks in a compassionate, but also assertive place that says, hey, let's let's stay with this. I know that it's hard. You normalize it. You universalize it. You're saying this is normal. Everyone that goes through it right about this point, and yes. you're saying, stay with it. I'm right here with you, and let's go through it. As I mentioned earlier, you, you described the path that you help create that includes both the psychological and the spiritual principles 
moving you know folks through or helping them move through places of ambiguity and complex experiences and yeah. into into that more integrated holistic and kind of clarified self-transformation what is happening as those come together that psychological that spiritual as they get more and more through that tunnel and they're coming out that other side and they get to be on the other side of it in an ongoing way in their life what's going on mm. for those folks Let's take, for example, uh, trauma healing, because what, what happens in trauma healing is, first of all, what happens in the broader state of consciousness is that they are released from victim consciousness. I think this is one of the most important components of psychological maturity, not only spiritual evolution. This means that uh, they develop a, a certain form of self-responsibility. Now they understand that, that it's not necessarily that circumstances shape them, but the reaction to, to circumstances that shapes them. If they could at least once liberate themselves or release their victim identity, they could do it again and again, you see, yeah. in, in many other aspects of their life. So... What they experience usually is that the psychological content of the memory has been wiped away. Yeah. And now they are able to, I would say, to, to finally create their present and future. The, the thing is that, is that as long as we are the products of our own thoughts, the products of our own emotions, we are shaped by them uncontrollably. And as a result, our present and future are already predetermined. Yes. It's not that we can actually shape them because we are unconsciously governed by certain what I call irrational memory connections. We have a certain thought patterns that are the thoughts behind our thoughts <laughs> and they yes. rule our life. So, so I think that, that people feel that, that they are able to imbue their life with meaning, create their present and future and take a full responsibility for their own suffering. This is the, the first step. That's a really beautiful picture that you're helping us envision here. You're saying that as we come out of that tunnel, we're free of our past, whether it's victimization or anything that we are kind of enslaved by with these thoughts and feelings and emotions, et cetera, that we don't really recognize are so much governing in a destructive way our lives. We make the unconscious conscious. And then from there... I love what you're saying. We get to have personal responsibility now. We have agency now and a responsibility mm -hmm. now that we're now mm -hmm. given to create the future that's possible for us. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the hope, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, we are powerless, you see. I think yeah. that if there is one thing that we are realizing that we have this ability in, that is inherent in our mind to liberate ourselves, to become our own source of self-liberating power. Mm -hmm. This is something that, that if we are able to, to even slightly tap into this kind of power, this must be life-changing. I love that. You know, Shia, I, I, I know we're kind of coming to a close in our, in our show today, but maybe kind of just dovetailing off of what you're just saying right there. We've got this liberating power. As, as we wind down, would you leave our listeners with kind of a welcoming word, an inviting word about them considering weaving meditation more into their life to experience the things that you're talking about today? Yes, of course. I would simply quote Einstein, who said, 
that we can't solve problems using the same level of thinking with which we created them. So, so yeah. what I, I would invite our listeners, our dear listeners, to is to understand that we somehow need to learn how to transcend or move to, to a higher or more refined plane in which our problems don't exist. And from there, resolve our problems and face our life. So one good advice, one practical advice would be that whenever you you are facing a certain challenge or a certain problem in your life, don't, don't try to resolve it using the ordinary level of thinking, but rather enter into meditation, settle in this expanded state of being, and then from there, look at your problem. Because a problem cannot resolve a problem. <laughs> only peace, only silence, only freedom can face problems. Really good. And what you're saying is that, and this is this is the hope here too, we can create that state from which to work through, go through and understand things and actually grow in a transformative way. Sha, I would love our listeners to be able to learn more about you after our show today, your work, your book, The Complete Book of Meditation. Tell us how our listeners can follow up with you after today's show. I would invite people to take a look at my website, my official website, which is shaitubali, S-H-A-I-T-U-B-A-L-I.com. This website contains all my upcoming events, including seminars and lectures, professional training and retreats, silent retreats, and also a blog containing all kinds of articles about everything that we've discussed today. Very good. And I would, I would invite people to take a look at my YouTube channel, where there are hundreds of lectures and guided meditations. This, I think, would be the, the most accessible way to tap into this work. Very good. Well, Shai, I thank you so much for being back with us today. It's so great to have you on this clinician series, and I certainly enjoy our times together. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a, it's a great joy being together. Thank you. Thank you. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Shai and me today. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.